First reading is from Exodus chapter 34, 5 and 7. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, But Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And the second reading from First John chapter 4, 7 to 16. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God sorry, <laughs> showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Thank you. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's my... Uh, pleasure, my privilege to be here with you this morning, uh, joining you all for uh, this third week of the uh, Big Question series, What Do You Think uh, God Is Like? Uh, as each of our uh, four Trinity churches in the northern suburbs, we each consider these questions. Uh, is there a God? Uh, but which God? Uh, God is loving, uh, but so what? And of course, uh, today's question, does God even care? And of these four questions, uh, the questions of is there a God or uh, but which God, they're quite uh, philosophical in nature. You could uh, imagine these questions being uh, debated by academics with uh, tweed jackets, with you know, elbow patches on, uh, sitting in large kind of leather chairs uh, in a library surrounded by uh, bookcases with uh, books from the floor to the ceiling. But however, today's question does God even care, comes from a far more emotional place. You know, sure, academics, they may like to uh, debate this question too, uh, but this question is also asked by the person sitting in the gutter, head in their hands, tears streaming down their face as they experience the harsh reality of pain, of suffering, of loss, of injustice. It's a question often asked from the pit of despair when we feel that sharp and painful disconnect between the way that the world should be and the way that it is in reality. 
And even if you've only had a few moments over this past week to glance at a few of the news headlines, uh, maybe even over the last couple of weeks, that painful disconnect between the way the world should be and the way that it is in reality has been painfully obvious. So today, if you feel like you're in that pit of despair, well, first of all, I want to encourage you and say how great it is that you're here, uh, knowing that it was likely a challenge for you to be here this morning. It's great that you've joined us today. Secondly, I want you to know that you're in good company. I, uh, I trust that the people here, they uh, love you, they care for you, they want to encourage you, but also many of them have probably also been in that pit themselves. They've also asked that same question, does God even care? And furthermore, you're also in good company because this question of does God even care is a question that many people within the Bible have asked as they've encountered the suffering, the brokenness and the injustice of this world. So uh, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's known simply as the teacher and he's one such example. He says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And the prophet Habakkuk, he could not fathom God's plan to use the wicked nation of Babylon to bring judgment against his people Israel. So he cried out to God, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. I could go on, cite further examples from Job, the righteous man who suffered tremendously, or from the prophet Jeremiah. He's often referred to as the weeping prophet. But I think I've made my point clear, and the point is this, the Bible and the people within it clearly and openly acknowledge that our world is broken. There is suffering, there's pain, there's injustice. And it's actually comforting to know that the Bible doesn't have, uh, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things, and the Bible doesn't have a view of the world that is inconsistent with our experience of the world. But perhaps the far greater comfort is that while people in the Bible, while they ask this question of God, God does not leave the question unanswered. And so to signpost where I'm going to take uh, this talk in the next 20 minutes or so, it's to show you that God does care. He cares tremendously, far more than any of us do, in fact. But how do we know this? How can we be sure that God cares? Well, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the uh, the five love languages, the five different ways that people like to give and receive uh, love and affection, uh, being uh, quality time, uh, words of affirmation, uh, physical touch, uh, acts of service and uh, gifts. They're the five love languages. And today my plan is to highlight how God expresses his care, how he expresses his love in two of those ways. So through his words and then through his actions, which I'll further break down into three sections. God's caring actions in the past, God's caring actions in the present, and God's caring actions in the future. 
So let's begin then by considering how God shows us he cares with his words. And the first passage this morning, it came from the book of Exodus. And one of the major themes that runs throughout the book of Exodus is God making himself known. It begins early on in the book when uh, God reveals his divine name, the name Yahweh. He reveals it to Moses from the burning bush. And after having shown his grace and his power uh, to the Israelites by redeeming them through, from slavery in Egypt through many signs, many miracles, Yahweh seeks to further make himself known to this Israelite people by entering into a covenant relationship with them, a binding agreement in which Yahweh will be their God and the Israelites will be his people. But no sooner that this covenant relationship is established, it's broken in a heartbreaking display of infidelity and disobedience. As Moses is meeting with God atop of Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments, uh, the Israelite people, they're at the bottom of the mountain and they're breaking the first two of those commandments as they worship a golden idol statue, a golden calf. Maybe to illustrate how devastating a betrayal this is, can you imagine if you went to a wedding ceremony and the bride and groom are there and they exchange their vows with one another, they each place uh, the wedding ring onto the other's hand and then as that moment comes, the moment for the first kiss, uh, the groom bypasses the bride and he goes and kisses the maid of honour instead. It would be an outrage. And the bride would be furious. And she'd be heartbroken. And similarly, God is both furious and heartbroken as his people bypass him and go and worship this golden calf statue instead. And so Moses, he pleads with God not to abandon his covenant, not to abandon the Israelite people, to be faithful even though his people have not been faithful and even though they likely in the future will continue not to be faithful. And it's into this context that our reading for today comes. So here in Exodus uh, 34, we reach the pinnacle moment of God making himself known. So let's read again from Exodus 34 uh, verses 5 Uh, through seven so then the lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name the lord and he passed in front of moses proclaiming the lord the lord the compassionate and gracious god slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation here god reveals his own character he is a god full of compassion and grace patience overflowing with love faithfulness and forgiveness and it's to this comprehensive self-revelation of God's character that the Israelite people return to over and over again throughout their history. Any time throughout their history, any time they needed to be reminded of who God is, what his character is like, any time the Israelite people were unsure, does God even care? Any time they asked that question, it was to this comprehensive self-revelation of God's character that they returned. Uh, 
So as you can see on the screen, this description of God's character from Exodus 34, as a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This description is quoted repeatedly throughout the Old Testament by many different authors in many different books of the Bible. So in how God chooses to reveal himself, how he chooses to describe himself and his character, God says that he is a God who cares. He is compassionate, merciful, patient, faithful and forgiving. But we all know it's one thing to say something with our words, but then it's another thing to back it up with our actions. So we can clearly see that God tells us that he is a God who cares with his words in how he describes his character. But let us now turn our attention to see how God shows us he cares with his actions. And as I flagged earlier, we'll consider this uh, in three sections. God's actions in the past, God's actions in the present, and then God's actions in the future. So let's consider God's caring actions in the past. And the clearest, the greatest evidence of God's care for us, for this broken and suffering world, is seen in the person of Jesus. In his life and ministry, in his death and his resurrection. So let's look again at a section from our second reading from today, from 1 John chapter 4. We'll pick it up at verse 9. There it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. If we want to see God's care and love for this world, we look to Jesus. In Jesus... We see the fulfillment of God's ultimate rescue plan. His plan to rescue unloving, uh, powerless humanity from all the brokenness, all the suffering, all the death that we experience in our world. And all of that that is caused by our rejection of God. And Jesus is the one who came to bring us into a restored and reconciled relationship with God. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Notice too, it's, it's all God's own initiative. Jesus comes into the world as a sacrifice for our sins and it comes out of God's abundant love for us, despite our rejection of him. Surely there's no greater act of care, no greater act of love than this. So my first application point for you all today is not for you to do something, just simply for you to know something. So know this, God loves you abundantly. God cares for you deeply. You can clearly see all of this when you look to Jesus. Jesus who came to die so that you might have life through him. Look to Jesus, and you'll see how much God cares. So continuing on uh, in my next point, uh, not only has God shown us how much he cares in the past uh, through the life and the death of Jesus, but God also continues to show 
how much he cares in the present. And he does this in two ways. And the first of those ways being in and through his church. So let's continue on our reading from 1 John chapter 4. We pick it up at verse 11. There it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God shows his love and care in the present through his church. As the people who have been shown God's love and care, as the people who have received God's love and care, we in turn show that love and care to one another. In fact, this loving and caring for one another should be the very thing that identifies us as Jesus' followers, following the example that he set for us. So we consider Jesus' words in John's Gospel from chapter 13. There Jesus says to his followers, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now in the kids' talk, uh, the all-ages spot before, I mentioned that uh, I do have a one-year-old daughter, and so uh, these songs and the dances of the Wiggles are often in our living room or uh, our car rides as we go around the place. And so uh, I now know a lot more about the Wiggles than I did a year ago. And uh, so now I know that uh, the Red Wiggle, his name is Simon, and uh, Simon the Red Wiggle, he likes to play Simon Says. Of course, the idea of Simon Says is uh, Simon Says in action, you know, put your hands on your head, and then everyone else copies the action, put your hands on your head. Well, in a similar way, Jesus says, love one another. And so we, as his followers, we do the actions. We love one another. So then we must ask ourselves, are we a church that shows God's care to one another? Are we a church that loves one another? Perhaps the front line of uh, where this caring for one another, where this loving one another takes place uh, is in community groups. Uh, Hopefully in our community groups, as uh, we meet together, we uh, gather together, we uh, pray with and we pray for one another. Uh, Perhaps we share words of encouragement as we gather or we uh, send text messages or phone calls uh, throughout the week to show our care. Uh, Perhaps we do uh, simple gestures as acts of kindness of Uh, making meals for one another. Uh, Perhaps uh, you know uh, some parents who could uh, do with some babysitting uh, so they can have a night out or have some uh, peace and quiet. Uh, There's lots of different ways uh, that this loving uh, and caring for one another can take place. But uh, hear this. God's people should know that God cares for them because his church cares for them. I'll say that again. God's people should know that he cares for them because his church cares for them. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But more than loving one another within the church, God's care is to be shown to the world through the church, especially to those who are on the margins of society. As God was given the law to the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament, 
God's heart for the marginalised, people such as orphans, uh, widows, refugees, it's repeatedly seen as God makes provisions for them in the law to make sure that they would always be taken care of. Similarly, when we get to the New Testament, we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus how Jesus has compassion uh, for the downtrodden and he regularly interacts with and he brings restoration to those who are on the fringes of society, either because of uh, sickness and illness or because of their social status. And at the conclusion of uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, perhaps Jesus' most famous and and well-known parable uh, it concludes with uh, a pit that we often uh, forget uh, the command that Jesus says, go and do likewise. And so my application question for you to consider is, how is the area of Modbury better off for having this church here? Do the people of the Modbury area know that God cares for them because his people, his church, this church cares for them? Well, my great hope is that even if the people in the surrounding area, even if they don't agree with everything that we believe, they're actually glad that this church is here because we love the people of this community. We look out for, we care for those who are less fortunate in our community. Wouldn't that be a wonderful witness? Wouldn't that actually be a powerful testimony to our loving and caring Lord and God? So firstly, God shows that he cares in the present through the love and caring actions of his church. And then secondly, God shows that he cares in the present through his Holy Spirit. So let's again return to our reading from uh, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, Pick it up in verse 13 if you have Bible in front of you. It says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's indwelling presence with us in the here and now, enables us and empowers us to follow Jesus' example, enables us to go and do that very action of loving one another within the church and showing love and care to those who are outside the church too. But more than this, God's indwelling presence in the Holy Spirit is also our deposit which guarantees our future eternal inheritance. And so for this reason, we ought not to think of the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit as something that comes and goes here one minute and then gone the next. No, once received by faith, by that proclamation that Jesus is Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit does not leave us. And so just like the fans of the English soccer club, uh, Liverpool, they declare to one another before every home game, they loudly, proudly sing the song, You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, God's promise, Jesus' promise to his followers is that they will never walk alone. And so Jesus' final words of the Great Commission, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those words ring true even as Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven because the Holy Spirit is here with us and he will be here with us always to the very end of the age. And so, we do not walk alone through the journey of this life. The Holy Spirit is with us and he teaches us, he guides us, he illuminates the words of the Bible to us. We do not walk alone. 
The Holy Spirit enables us to live out our new identities as God's children. And he gives us spiritual gifts, not for our own betterment or benefit, but actually for the benefit of our brothers and sisters, the body of Christ. The spiritual gifts for building up the church. And especially in the depths of our despair, our pain, and our grief and our sorrow, we do not walk alone. Romans chapter 8 says the Holy Spirit, he intercedes for us through wordless groans when we do not even have the strength to know what to pray. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's indwelling presence with us in the here and now, wherever we go, further testifies to God's caring actions for us in our present day. So God has demonstrated his care for us in the past through Jesus. And God continues to demonstrate his care for us in the present uh, through his church and through his Holy Spirit. And uh, just like on uh, Christmas Christmas morning, when there's one more gift at the bottom of the Christmas stocking, uh, we have a further final gift in the assurance that God is going to take actions in the future that further demonstrate his care uh, for us, his immeasurable care. Perhaps at this point, it's helpful to point out that even with God showing that he cares uh, through sending Jesus into the world, even with God showing he cares through sending the Holy Spirit into the world, and even with God showing he cares through his church, our world is still far from what it should be. There's still suffering, still pain, still death, still injustice. There's no doubt that all of us see that and no doubt that all of us feel that. Those feelings of pain, those feelings of grief, those feelings of anger at injustice. Well, they're often, they're all the feelings that drive the very question that we're looking at today. Does God even care? And so I want you to know today, God, he's not blind to all of this. And God is not immune to all of this. Just like us, God sees the pain and the suffering of this world and it grieves him. It grieves him. But we must also know that God, he's not powerless in his grief. Rather, he has a plan to bring an end to injustice and bring an end to death and to bring restoration to his wonderful creation. And So just as Jesus being sent to the earth the first time, was hugely significant in God's redemption plan, so too will Jesus' return to the earth be a monumentous event in God's redemption plan. And the plain teaching of the Bible is that the resurrected Jesus, he is coming back to earth at some point, and he will sit on his glorious throne as king, and he will judge all the living and the dead. And at this judgment... All the injustice, all the wickedness that we see in our world that goes uh, unpunished and unchecked in the present, all of that will have to be finally held to account. That's immensely comforting, isn't it? To know that one day there will be true justice. In addition to Jesus' glorious return and all wickedness and injustice finally being held to account, Hear this great promise of God's future carrying actions from the book of Revelation chapter 21. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that vision of the future wonderfully comforting? Isn't it actually exciting to know that God is going to make everything new? That his dwelling place is going to be with his people. That he will be be with them as their God and we will be with him as his people. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. What a great God we have. What an incredible future awaits us. And so, with confident, sure hope, we hold on to this vision of the new heaven and the new earth as we struggle through all the brokenness of this earth. And no doubt the struggle of this life is tough. We rightly, we look to, we long for, we anticipate Jesus' return. We want it to be soon. We may wonder, in fact, well, if this is so good, why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Why hasn't he returned to bring justice? Why hasn't he returned to bring restoration? Good questions to ask. I think the answer is because God is patient. God is patient in giving people time to repent and turn to him. The Apostle Peter, he reminded uh, the early Christian believers of this in uh, the letter of 2 Peter, he says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. The Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is incredibly patient. He patiently longs for everyone to turn to him in repentance and belief. So my final thought, my final application point for you here today is, do we have a sense of urgency in calling the lost to repent and believe before Jesus' return? God is patient and we don't know when Jesus' return will be. So do we have a sense of urgency in calling the lost to repent and believe before Jesus comes back? Well, my prayer is that we would be people who urgently call people to repent, to turn to the God who cares for them abundantly, cares for the whole of his creation immeasurably more than we could ever know or describe. So let me finish uh, in a word of prayer. Uh, Join with me. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you are a God who cares. You are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Give thanks that you are patient. You 
uh, longingly wait for us to turn to you in repentance and belief. We give thanks for all that you have done for us in uh, Jesus. We give thanks for all that you do for us in the present through uh, the Holy Spirit and through the church. And we look forward to, uh, with hope and anticipation, in all that you're going to do in the future. So Lord, we give thanks for your great care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.